installation slides. We're going to talk a little bit about um, an elder. So this, is, um, this has been a while since we've had a new elder. I think um, it's at least been a decade or so, um, or close to that. And so one of the things that um, we want to do is be intentional about this process, but make sure you understand, too, what, what we're doing. And so one of the things we tried to, to do is when we were considering an elder, and, and we've done this when we've done deacons as well, is put before you what the scripture says about, about what it's required to be an elder, the qualifications. And you can find those in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus um, chapter, uh, I believe it's 1. And um, so you can see that the, the type of characteristics of a, of a man that's called to be an elder. And so uh, we tried to put those before you, and then when we put Keith before you, we said, hey, we have prayed with this man. This man and his family have been praying as well, and we're putting him before you for you to pray about. And so gave you those scriptures so that you could reference those, look at those, and, and consider what, what kind of character does God call for the leaders in his church. This morning what I want to do is put another set of verses before you about elders, and so I'm going to show you some verses here from 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. He says this, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here's his charge to them. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." So here what you, you see Peter doing is talking to a group of elders and he's, he's charging them, shepherd the flock that God has entrusted to you. Because the role of an elder is that of a shepherd. And, and when, you, when you look through the scriptures of the role of an elder, there's a couple different words that are used to describe them. One of those words we oftentimes translate as overseer because part of the role of an elder is to oversee the care and the, the governance of a church. And another word that they use is shepherd. And so what we've done in our culture is, is because of our culture and because of the way churches tend to run, we've created um, some different levels. So we have elders and deacons, and then we create staff positions. And now you won't, if you read the scriptures, you won't find church staff in the scriptures. You won't, you won't find them addressing that. But what you find is there's no distinction between what we call often today a pastor and what the scriptures refers to as an elder. Because an elder is a pastor. And so one of the things I want to keep putting before you as, as we help you try to understand and as we grow in our understanding of what the scriptures say about elders is this. Um, when you consider boards, different boards, maybe many of you sit on different boards and you're a board member or you have, um, being an elder is not like being a board member of any other board. I mean, we call it an elder board oftentimes, but this is not a, not a board where you're going to go on because you want to be, um, you have a position of prestige and of power. That's, that's not the right motivation to get on an elder, an elder board or team. This is not a type of board that just shows up and uh, reviews information and rubber stamps decisions. That's not active enough for what the scriptures say about elders. Paul, uh, Peter says, shepherd the flock. So an elder board, an elder team of a church, they are your shepherds. 
And so they, they are, when you talk about a pastor, um, what I want to start conditioning you and helping you to see is when you think about pastors, I want you to also start thinking about elders. Because as shepherds, we do this together. And so when we gather as elders, like we did this past Thursday night, when we gather as elders, we are, we are oftentimes studying the scriptures together. We're growing in our understandings of what it may say on a topic or we're, we're trying to, to grow in a certain area. We are considering our congregation. Oftentimes we have a list of our congregation members each week or each time we meet and we're praying over you by name. And, and if we're aware of some things going on in your life, then we're praying for those specific things that we are aware of. And we're praying for those of you who are sick and in need of healing. We have, we have a running list of those of you who we know have, have sickness or disease or ailments and we're praying for you by name on every time we gather. And then we're considering things uh, that, that go on in the church and we're making decisions about the direction of the church. We're, we're talking about how to best go about things. And so together as a team, we are shepherding the church. And so that's what, when a, when a man steps forward and God calls a man for, for being an elder in his church, he's calling a man who is going to shepherd the bride of Christ. And I know if you consider your bride if you're a husband, or wives if you're a, uh, a wife. I, I, I know it, when you think about how do you treat someone else's bride, or women in your case, how do other people treat you as your husband's bride? You know that that's something that must be taken with great care. If I'm going to interact with someone else's bride, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm caring for them in a way that honors the husband as well. If I mistreat someone else's bride, I need to be looking over my shoulder for that husband. If he's a good and loving husband, he's going to, to be uh, incited with some holy jealousy perhaps, or he's going to want to make sure that the honor of his bride is, is taken care of and defended. And so there's that close connection. We shepherd a bride of Christ, the church the people who Christ came and gave his life for. And so a man who steps up and, and God calls and then is confirmed as an elder, he's signing up to actually lay down his life for others. He's signing up to give more time from his life and apart from his family to be able to care for others in the church, in the flock that he's entrusted with. He's, he's laying down his life and he's, he's volunteering. So most of our elders, they're all volunteers. Right? So they're doing this on top of their jobs already, on top of their other responsibilities. And they're doing this and they're laying down their life so that they can put the lives of others first. It's a selfless calling. And so Peter says, shepherd the flock that God, uh, that is among you, exercising oversight. There is a role of authority, a responsibility of authority that comes with being an elder. We are entrusted with the care and the governance of this particular flock. We're not entrusted with the care and governance of First Baptist Church, El Reno, or any other church. God has appointed elders for this particular flock, and so we are entrusted with the care and the guidance and direction and the governance of this particular flock. So he says exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Let me ask you, just to put it in terms that you may be able to, to, to understand a little better. If I got up here every week and I said, man, I, I just wish I was doing something else, but here I am. This is what I'm doing, so I'm going to fulfill my duty to you each week. I'm going to get up and preach because I have to. I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time with you guys because I have to. It's just the position that I'm in. Would you like that? 
No. Because I would be doing that out of compulsion. I would be doing that without a sense of joy. And Peter says, that's not the way an elder leads. An elder should lead not under compulsion, but freely. Out of, out of joy, out of a willingness to serve. Um, and then as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Listen, we don't sign up to be elders. We don't, we don't pursue that. We don't submit to that so that we can make money out of that and get rich off of you. We don't do that so that we can use our power and our position to manipulate you. Because listen, elders, people who are leading in a church, it comes with a great amount of influence. And as with any position, any leadership position where there is influence, it's required that there be great responsibility and great humility. Because when you're entrusted with influencing people, you can't do it in a way that extorts them. You can't do it in a way that manipulates them to gain and benefit you. That would not honor Christ because that's not how he leads us. That's not how he loves us. That's not how he shepherds us. And so an elder is called to, to shepherd in a way that is not looking out for his own gain and his own benefit. Not looking to, to extort the people over whom he, he is exercising oversight. He's to do it eagerly. Verse 3, he's not to domineer over those in charge. Listen, as elders, as leaders in the church, we are to lead you by being servants. Not instead intimidating or bullying or using a position or a platform to, to overpower you or to move you and manipulate you into doing what we want. We're not to domineer. Again, that's not how Christ shepherds us. Instead, he came as a servant to lay down his life for a ransom for many. We are to follow after that. And so we lead by serving. And then um, being examples to the flock. So we're not perfect. No pastor, no staff member, no elder, no deacon is perfect. No person apart from Christ is perfect. If anyone claims to have reached that point, you need to walk away. Or you need to report them to whoever it would be right to report them to. But you need to walk away because there's nobody who God has finished that process with who is currently still living. We are all works in progress. We are all people, if we've trusted in Christ, he has secured us, he has saved us, he's called us into his kingdom, he's called us as his children, and then he continues to work out what he has begun in us. And that will be complete only when Christ returns. Now when we die, we stop struggling with sin. But when Christ returns is when our salvation is made complete because our bodies and our souls are united together free from sin. So we are to be examples then in the way we live. Not perfect, but you should be able to look at your elders and your pastors and say, they should be able to say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't, don't replicate me, but replicate Christ in me. So as you watch me, you should see me. As you watch our elders, you should see our elders living lives that are in surrender, a humble surrender to the Lord, seeking to honor the people they're interacting with, seeking to love the people as their neighbor, to love their enemies as, as Christ called us to. You should see examples in your shepherds as to how to live out a life set free from sin and enslaved to Christ instead. Now, we're not perfect. And so you should also see us when we sin, you should see us repenting. You should see us walking in humility. You should see us dependent upon the Lord and praying. And so Peter says, be an example. Be an example. 
Verse 5, likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders. So the elders' position in a church comes with a level of authority. And so those who, who are under the, the shepherding care of the elders are called to submit to that care and that authority of the elders. And so here in just a minute, I'm going to call Keith up in just a moment, and I'm going to ask Keith some questions that, that we talked about on Thursday, and he's going to respond. And this is going to be his opportunity before you to take some vows before you as he's committing to you to shepherd you. But then I'm going to turn it right back around on you, people who call Houston home. And I'm going to ask you to consider some things and respond, one of which is, are you willing to submit yourself under the shepherding care of this man? And then also the group of elders. And so uh, verse 5 was, you are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. No one's exempt from that one, right? Whether you're elders, whether you're submitting yourself to the care of the elders, humility. You lead with humility, you follow with humility, you love out of humility. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Being a shepherd of Christ's bride, it's a high calling. It's a great privilege it's a great joy. It comes with great responsibility and requires great humility. And we know we've got that in Keith. And many of you know that. We, we have that in Keith. And so what I'd like to do is, Keith, if, if you and Rayanne will go ahead and come up. In just a moment, I'll call the rest of, of the elders up here. But I want Keith and Rayanne, if you guys will come up. And I'm going to ask you to just stand right here in front of me and turn and face the congregation. And I've got these questions. I'm going to throw them up on the screen. Um, and then uh, that way you're also being able to see what I'm asking Keith. All right? All right. So, so Keith, um, as I ask these questions, if you are able, just respond with the, uh, the responses there that we've talked about. So number one, Keith, do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God? Totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. I do. Keith, do you sincerely believe the statement of faith of Heaston Church contains the truth taught in the Holy Scriptures? I do. Keith, do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith, you will on your own initiative... Make known to the pastor and other elders the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow. I do. Keith, do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Heaston Church? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? I do with God's help. Have you been motivated, as far as you know your own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to, prom to promote his glory in the gospel of his son. I have. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? I do with God's help. Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public, and will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to live a godly life before this congregation? I will by the grace of God. And then are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministry 
and resources of the church and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Houston Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. I am with the help of God. Okay, at this point, I'm going to look to you guys who call Houston home. And I'm going to read this statement, and if you are able to respond to this statement, I'd like you to respond with the, the highlighted response in yellow as you affirm yourself to Keith. So to you who call Heaston home, do you acknowledge and publicly receive this man as an elder, as a gift of Christ to this church? And then to you who call Heaston home, will you love him? and pray for him in his ministry, and work together with him humbly and cheerfully, that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him, to the glory and honor of God. Thank you. If I can have all of our elders, whether you're on sabbatical or sitting, and then if your wives are with you and would, would be able to come up, if you guys will come up and let's surround Keith and Rayanne, Find a place, put a hand on them. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to take some time. I'm going to ask any of you elders who would like to pray for Keith, we will pass the microphone to you. And then if any of our elders' wives, if any of you would like to pray, just let us know and we will pass the microphone to you. And then for those of you out there, um, this is not a, a, specta a spectator sport at this point. So as we're praying, pray with us. And in your heart as the Lord leads you, pray prayers that he places on your heart for Keith and Rayam. All right, Sid, as chairman, can I ask you to start? And then after you've prayed, if anyone else wants to pray, just let Sid know and we'll pass it on to you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for bringing us Keith to
so, Father, we, uh, we thank you for your wisdom in the way that you have, before the foundation of the world, had all things in place and all things you have been working according to your good pleasure and your purpose, God. And part of that was sending Jesus to live a life on behalf of people who were rebelling against God but to live this life in a way that was in perfect obedience to God. And then to, to willingly go and stand in the place and in, take on the judgment of God towards sin so that for those who trust in Christ, they might be removed from the wrath of God and brought into the kingdom of God and called your church the bride of Christ. And then, God, in your wisdom, you have modeled through Christ, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, what it looks like to love. And the greatest act of love is to lay down your life for another. And that doesn't just mean in a military or law enforcement setting, God, that means in a daily, we are laying our preferences down, we're laying our rights down as people so that we might love and serve others in the church. And God, in your wisdom, you modeled that through Christ. And then you... you and when Christ ascended into heaven, you entrusted men, elders, to be able to shepherd the flocks spread out across the world, that they would love and serve and lead and shepherd in ways that model after Christ, the good shepherd. So God, would you help us to be shepherds like that? Would you help Keith to be a shepherd like that and grow us all because, Lord, you know we all need to grow in that. We all need to grow in our understanding of how you love and shepherd us and then grow in how we love and shepherd those you entrust to us. Give us great humility, Lord. Give us wisdom because we lack it. Give us the skills that we need. Give us the grace for each moment. Words to encourage, prayers to pray, ways to serve. God, show us how to lead and to love this group of people that you've entrusted to our care. And God, as we are, we are installing Keith this morning, let it also be uh, something that you do in our hearts that, that are already elders, that you would remind us of our great responsibility and our great privilege and joy, that you would renew and reignite in us a, a passion and a desire to continue to love and to serve. And God, do this for the sake of your glory. And as we go forward, God, would you be pleased to continue to grow Heaston Church, not because of Heaston Church, but as people hear the gospel and are drawn to you, God, would you use us in that? And we pray all these things, God, in the name of Christ, the Good Shepherd. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. pretty neat, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you want and you hope to be able to have people, men in your congregation who God is working on and who are in a very holy way aspiring to be elders. Like Timothy says in 1 Timothy 3, it's a good thing to aspire to be an elder. And so when you see those types of things, you start praying, God, is this someone you want to raise up? And so we're excited because also every time you bring someone new onto a team, you know you're bringing onto a team whatever God is doing in them. And they're coming onto this team and they're going to bring that and contribute uh, to what, what God's doing in us. And then together, we can start to move in a direction where the Lord is leading. So it's an exciting thing. So I'm glad you got to be a part of that.
Um, hey, the other thing we're doing this morning with the rest of our time is we're going to take communion. And so if you would get me there, thank you very much. Um, to, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 22 this morning. I'm going to just briefly explain what we're doing with communion, then I'll provide some instruction as to, to how we're going to do that this morning. So if you have Bibles and you want to look at those, uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 22, and I'll bring that up here as well. So this is at the end of Jesus' life, of course, as he is headed toward the cross. And this is the night before, uh, or the night before he's on the cross, the night which he is betrayed. And so he is sitting down to eat a meal that as a good Jewish person, you would have sat down to eat every year. It's the Passover meal. As a Jewish person and as families, they would every year at this time, they would make preparations for this specific meal. And there was specific instructions that God gave for this meal, how they were to eat it, and what it was to remind them of. And this goes all the way back to Exodus, when God took a people that he had made promises to Abraham, and then Abraham and his family uh, ultimately ended up in Egypt. And then while in Egypt, they were enslaved, but they were growing, and God was hearing their, their cries and their calls. And so, so in God's timing, he pulls them out of Egypt and he sets his people who were, had been enslaved, he sets them free. And he, he continues to be faithful to fulfill his promises. But as he was doing that, he gave them instructions about a meal. A meal where they were to have a, a lamb, a particular type of lamb with no blemishes. A lamb who, who they were to, to prepare in a certain way. And they were to take the blood from this lamb. And on the very last night, they were to put these, this, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their home because the tenth and final plague was coming. And it was the plague of the firstborn. The firstborn, if there was no blood on that, that doorpost, then the firstborn was not going to live the night. But if you were under the lamb's blood then the destroyer would pass over you. And so this meal became known as Passover because as they were celebrating this meal, they were remembering that time where God passed his judgment over the people who were covered by the blood of the lamb. And they would remember year after year of God's faithfulness to deliver his people out of enslavement. And they would be reminded that God is going to do that again when he provides the, 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 the coming redeemer. And so Jesus, this night, sits down and he says in verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. So his closest followers were with him. Verse 15, then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And that line continues to just strike me. Where Jesus, he, he's 30-something years old at this point. Right? He's, he's had many Passover meals with his family, and, and he had been doing public ministry for a, about three years, and you know as good Jews, they had had this meal together before as well. And yet this time, this time he says, I have earnestly desired, I fervently desired to eat this meal with you. And it just strikes, strikes me because I know he knew where he was headed. I know he knew what was coming up. I know he knew what he was about to teach those in that room with him that night. This meal that you've eaten your entire lives, that your ancestors have eaten for generations, the, the, the meal that looks back to God's deliverance and then has you hoping and looking forward to that day where God would provide the, the ultimate Passover lamb, that day is now. And he would reveal that to him as he, he goes forward in verse 
16, he says, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So this cup is filled with wine that they would normally eat or drink as part of their meal. He says, now take this. And now if you were to read it in Matthew and in Mark, you would get some, some other details as well where he says, this, this cup represents my blood, the blood of the covenant, the blood of the new covenant. This covenant that God had promised to prophets in the Old Testament that there's going to be a day where I'm going to write the law, my law on my people's heart, and I'm going to fill them with my spirit so that they will obey me and they will be able to walk in and enjoy the promises of God. They will will have my spirit in them. And it's the day when the new covenant would come and the spirit would fall upon people. And Jesus says, this cup right here, When you drink this, it represents the blood that's about to be spilled on the cross. Now, they didn't know fully those details, but he knew, I'm about to suffer. This represents that blood. That blood being spilled is going to start the new covenant. And then he goes on and he says in verse 19, and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to them and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as he's breaking this bread, uh, it's, it's, it's representing now and he's explaining, I'm about to suffer. My body is about to be broken. Breaks the bread. This bread represents my body. Broken, given for you. That's language of substitution. That's language of someone laying their life down for others. That's language of someone loving others in a way that ultimately is done in sacrifice. He says, I'm doing this for you. So when you continue to have this meal and you take the bread, you remember that my body was broken for you so that yours did not have to incur the judgment of God for sin. And in verse 20, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When we take these, uh, this cup, and we do grape juice here, um, just because we do, right? And, and we just don't like to put a, a stumbling block before people, but um, that's all grape juice. And that's important and for some of you to know. We also have gluten-free options over here. Okay, for the wafer. But when we take these, wa- these, these wafers, these little pieces of, of bread and the, and the juice, this is what we are participating in. A meal that Jesus, uh, they had already been participating in before he, he got there that night, but then he provided fuller meaning to that meal. And ever since that night, followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, the church has been gathering and they take this meal. And when you take this, this bread in this cup, you are one, reminding yourself you're looking back to what Christ did for you. So as you take this bread, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're being reminded, he stood in my place. He willingly laid his life down for me so that I would not incur the judgment of God. And when you, when you take the cup and you drink the juice, you're being reminded his blood was spilled and that started the new covenant. And under this covenant, my sins are forgiven because of his sacrifice on my behalf. As you're taking the cup, you're being reminded of what Jesus has done on your behalf. That's past tense. And in present tense, though, you're you're reminding yourself now so that you're continuing to stir up in you and let the Lord stir in you a a longing for Christ, an affection for Christ. Because as you remind yourself of how God shows his love to us, 
Because Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates, not demonstrated. He demonstrates the death of Christ on behalf of sinners. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You're reminding yourself that God continues to show his love for me through the death of Christ. I'm reminding in the present tense. But then there's also a future tense. I'm also looking forward to the day and we do this meal and remind ourselves of what Christ did and we look forward to the day when he returns because the promise of God is that things will not always be the way they are. The lives that we're living right now as we're in this series on suffering, the, the, the series where we're talking about things were meant to be this way, they're going to be this way, but here's how they currently are. They will not stay that way because God is faithful and he will send Christ back and justice will ultimately reign and evil will finally be judged and the people that Christ has secured for himself will ultimately be redeemed completely. All sin taken away, bodies renewed and reunited so that we are as God designed and intended us to be. We look forward. And so as you come forward today, that's what you'll be doing is, is reminding yourself, stirring up, asking the Lord to stir up affections now in the present, and then looking forward to the day where Christ will return. So we're resetting and refocusing our hope. Now, um, the way we practice communion here is uh, we call it open communion, which means this. The one requirement we believe the scriptures teach for taking communion is that you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that you have placed your trust in Him, um, that you've repented from your sins. That, that, is, that means we stop trusting in whatever it is we're trusting in, ourselves, something else, and then we turn from that, and in turning from that, you have to trust in something else. That's the belief. So we repent and we believe. So if that's something that you've done and you're, you're part of the kingdom of God, you're part of the family of God, then this is, table is open to you. It does not matter if you call Heaston home or not. If you're visiting today, but you've trusted in Christ, you're welcome to come. Now what I'd say to those of you who have not uh, trusted in Christ, first I would say to you is consider him this morning. Consider what you're hearing this morning about how God has shown his love for people who have rebelled against him. And that's everybody. And if you have, have not trusted in Christ this morning, perhaps this morning God is calling you to do that today. Perhaps this morning you're aware of something going on and for this morning it makes sense in a way that you've never understood before that Christ died for you. You've heard people talk about it before, but for, for some reason this morning you're understanding, no, he died for me and I need his sacrifice on my behalf. If God is making that clear to you this morning, your response is to turn from what you've been trusting in and instead turn to God, trusting in Christ, that his death on the cross was a sacrifice for you, his resurrection from the dead overcomes sin and death, and through that he's able to give us the same type of new life. If you are doing that this morning, this table's open to you. If not, or if you're still considering it, let me encourage you, please don't feel the pressure to come up this morning. Churches have enough hypocrites we don't want to encourage you to participate in that and in, in proclaiming something that you don't believe. So please feel no pressure from anyone in this room that you need to just get up so that you can be a part of some ritual because that's not what this is. Instead, I would far rather you to sit there and consider what's being done, to consider what's being said, consider the songs and the words of the songs um, and let those direct you to where the Lord wants to direct you. 
For everyone else, if you've trusted in Christ and you're coming this morning, the other thing we need to consider is that we don't want to come and take this lightly. Which means this. Did you come to church angry this morning? Did you cuss your kids out in the back seat? We need to deal with that before you come up. Are you holding on to anger or bitterness right now against someone? You need to deal with that before you come up. You need to take the time and ask the Lord, Lord, show me if there's sin in my heart. Show me if there's things that are not of you that I need to be aware of so that I might put those before you. Or maybe you already are aware of some things. Maybe you're already aware of some of the sin that you're willfully choosing and living in. Are you willing today to confess that to the Lord, to identify it as sin and to repent of that? Lord, help me to do that this morning. If you're not, if your heart's intent is, I'm going to continue to do this as soon as I take that bread and wash it down with the juice, then I would highly encourage you this morning instead to just ask the Lord to work on your heart and show you the things that he wants to show you. And don't come up here proclaiming the forgiveness of Christ and the freedom from sin if you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness or if you're continuing and willingly going to live a life of sin. Don't do it to yourself and don't dishonor the Lord in doing that.